0: My dear brothers and sisters, you probably noticed this after talking with me for about five minutes, but I watch way too much TV. And I watch way too many movies. But I like to think I, I at least have pretty good taste. You know, there are some movies that are just so masterfully written, so beautiful, so profound, so thought provoking that, that y- y- you watch them and you could watch them again and again and again and every single time you watch that movie right you get something new out of it right you learn something new about yourself and it's it just never gets old right you probably all have a movie like that in your mind and maybe you have the the, the same movie that i have on my mind Napoleon Dynamite a cultural triumph of american civilization it's got everything you could want in a movie romance, right, conflict, character development. But there's one scene that, that really, really sticks out to me. And maybe, you I'm sure most of you have probably seen this movie, but uh, maybe you know this scene, right? Napoleon and Pedro are at uh, the, the the stage or off, off stage, and Pedro's about to give... Uh, presidential speech to his high school a speech why he should be their student body president and he has no idea what he's going to say and he's at the point where he's about ready to give up Right? he doesn't even want to be president anymore, It's a dumb idea and Napoleon gives him the most incredibly beautiful advice you could give a friend Pedro just listen to your heart that's what I do Listen to your heart. I think that phrase, uh, along with like all the other phrases uh, kind of related to it, I, I think that's like the most common cliche in our time. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. You, you, got, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And maybe if you're manly, you say, go with your gut. But it's the same thing. Listen to your heart. Except if you think about it for, I don't know, a minute, you kind of realize that is terrible advice. That's terrible advice. But if you tell your four-year-old, if the best, if the best thing you have for your four-year-old is, well, oh, just listen to your heart, then your four-year-old's going to eat cake for dinner every night and never brush his teeth again. That's terrible advice. If you tell a hormonal teenager, hey, just, just listen to your heart, A teenager is going to consume things that are terrible for them and date destructive people and make decisions that could possibly ruin their life. You should not tell a hormonal teenager, just follow your heart. Can you imagine the pain and the catastrophe that you would be responsible for if you told an alcoholic or a drug addict or or an unfaithful spouse, hey, just, just listen to your heart. No, you shouldn't tell them that because listening to their heart is what got them in trouble in the first place. Well, the people that Ezekiel was preaching to, they had a similar problem. In fact, God told them that this was their problem. They listened to their hearts. God called the people that Ezekiel was preaching to to listen to him, follow him, do what what he says. Instead, they followed their hearts. And they kept following their hearts. They kept following their hearts until, as a society, they got to a place where their hearts led them. And, And as a society... Their worship, when they would go to church, their worship consisted of having sex with temple prostitutes and child sacrifice. And as a society, the things that were celebrated were things like injustice, oppression of the poor, theft, cheating, lying, unfaithful spouses, unconcerned parents, rebellious young people, all things that contribute to human suffering, and God had enough. God actually sends a a nation, uh, the Babylonians, a people even worse than them, and they take them up, they oppress them, they destroy their homes, and bring all of God's people to Babylon to sit and rot in refugee camps. And it is to those people that Ezekiel is called to preach. And if you've ever read Ezekiel, you know it gets pretty graphic It it, it gets pretty violent with the language. And with that, Ezekiel is holding up a mirror in front of the people and saying, this is your fault. And as the people are sitting there rotting in refugee camps, they know, I'm not just like a good person who's made mistakes. I'm evil. I'm bad. I, 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 I am hopeless. but that's not God's last word to them. In fact, God's response to their evil is promises. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, God doesn't just, you know, give them a bunch of really solid advice so that they can get back on his good side. He's not a god who says, "Do." He is a god who says, "I will." And this is his first promise. I will make you new. And you probably know it's coming. The problem that the people, uh, that, that Ezekiel was preaching to, that problem is also your problem. Contrary to what our culture would have you believe, the solution to your problems in life is not listen to your heart, follow your heart. According to God, that is your problem. Your heart is the problem. Really think about this. Really think about this with me. Why, why do you get so angry and impatient and rude with the people that you love the most? Your family, your friends, your spouse, your children? Why do you consume things? Why do you do things why do you, th- th- that you know are bad for you and you know that are going to hurt other people? Why do, why do you do that? Why do you obsess over things that really in the long run don't matter that much? Why do you get so worked up over oh, that, that, that little about of money, that, that next vacation, that, 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 that promotion, that, you know, that my kid needs to be in this part? Why do you get so worked up over things that in the long run really don't matter? Why is it that even though you try your hardest, you cannot help but to cause pain for the people that you love the most? Why is that? It's not because you don't know better. Right? You know what to do. Most of you are, are adults and you kind of have an idea of what's good and what's bad. At least you have a conscience that tells you when you've messed up. It's not like anyone's forcing you to do bad things. Why do you do it? Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, he's, maybe he's right. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to shape up. I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm going to start doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's the, here's the truth. Even if pastor and I were so good at instilling the fear of God in you, and you were convinced, oh my goodness, I'm afraid of hell, so I'm going to be doing the right thing. I'm going to be better. God would still be unhappy with you. Because you're obeying out of fear, not love. And even if Pastor and I were, were so uplifting, so encouraging, so uh, you know, winsome, and, and you go out of here and you're like, yeah, I'm encouraged. I'm going to be the person I'm meant to be. I'm going to do the right thing, and God's going to bless me. God, will still, God would still be unhappy with you because you're only obeying him because you want to feel good about yourself, not because you love him. See, your problem is not your outside behavior. Your outside behavior is a product of the problem, and the problem is your heart. Your heart is not just broken or, or flawed or in need of a, a kickstart. It's dead. It's made out of stone, completely unable to love anyone more than yourself and completely unable to make God happy with you. And if you really, really think about it, the people in your life that you have hurt, and the pain that you are responsible for, you're probably at the same place that Ezekiel's people are. I'm hopeless. I'm evil. There is no way God could want me. I knew someone like that last year. Maddie and I worked with a young uh, mother, not even 20 years old yet, and, and she had made a lot of really, really bad choices in her life. And, but she was brand new to Christianity. And she, she told us that she wanted to get her baby son baptized. And we said, Aaliyah, that's great. That's awesome. Do you want to get baptized too? And she said, well, well, yeah, but not now. Not yet. We said, Why not? And she said, Well, well because I, I, I'm just not good enough yet. I'm not good enough yet. I want to be good enough first before I'm baptized. And I didn't handle it super well. I should have probably been more subtle about it, but it just kind of blurted out, well, yeah, you're right. You're not good enough. That's the point. That's why you need baptism. But, But she was right. She was absolutely right. She's not good enough. And the truth is, neither are you. But God still wants you. God wants you so desperately that he was actually willing to become a human being and be involved in the human mess. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you, his enemies, so that you, his enemies, could become his family. And he was willing to rise from the grave so that you, his family, could live with him forever. And usually that's where the gospel stops. And that gospel is enough. Believe me, it's enough. But, but today there's more. Because not only does God love you enough to become one of you and die for you and rise for you, to work your salvation for you, but God actually loves you so much that he is willing to work in you, to work salvation in you the Holy Spirit says to you, I know you're not enough. I know you're dirty. So I will make you clean. I will wash you. I will create in you a new spirit. I will create in you a new heart, a heart that beats for God, a heart that wants to serve neighbor, a heart that can please God. I will make you not just good enough, So that the holy God that demands, us, d- demands perfection will look at you, look at the you that I have created, and he won't just be satisfied, he'll be delighted, he'll be ravished by you. That is what the Holy Spirit promises to Ezekiel's people, and, and you know what's crazy, you know how he does it. You know how the Holy Spirit does this creating in you? It's not like the Holy Spirit is just kind of out there and just kind of saying, okay, you get the new spirit, new spirit, new spirit. He doesn't just snap his fingers and just like create. No, no, no. He communicates to you. The Holy Spirit preaches to you. And he says, look at what Jesus did for you. And he communicates that message to you in a lot of different ways. The a lot of For a lot of us, the first way that he did it was, Through baptism, where he literally cleansed us with the water that cleans us, and through that water came into our hearts and created the new person, the new heart. Through that water communicated to us, this is how much Jesus loves you. That he will make you clean and bring you into his kingdom out of the clutches of Satan. For a lot of us, the first way that that the Holy Spirit created in us the new heart is through the spoken word. Right? He he speaks and preaches to you. Look at what Jesus did for you through the Bible and and through the preaching, through the prayers, or just through a friend telling you, you, do you know what Jesus has done for you? And he continues to speak that gospel to say, look at what Jesus has done for you. Every single time you come to worship, every single time you read your Bible, every single time we have a worship service here, All the prayers, all the liturgy, the stuff that we say back and forth, the the, the sermon, the, the communion, all of it is the Holy Spirit saying to you, look at what Jesus has done for you. And all of that is the Holy Spirit keeping his promise to you. I will make you new. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I will make you perfect. I will make you who you are meant to be. I know what you're thinking. You know what you're thinking. If I am truly recreated, right, if I have a new heart and, and I have a new heart that can love God and love my neighbor and do good things, why do I want to still do bad things? Why, why is it so hard sometimes to do the right thing? Why is that so difficult? Well, the truth is, is that, yes, you have a new heart. You have a new heart. But you also have the old heart. The old heart, the stone heart, we call that the sinful nature. It's still a part of you. And those two things are going to constantly butt heads and constantly fight each other until that glorious day. When God calls you home and you stand before him in glory and that heart of stone is no longer a part of you, it no longer plagues you, your will is no longer conflicted, and the Holy Spirit's promise becomes completely true. You are who you are meant to be. You are created new. That's the first promise. But God's not done. But wait, there's more. Here. Then he follows and says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. I will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. See, maybe you notice a pattern here. Uh, Are the Israelites doing anything to earn anything from God? No. Right? Notice the pattern. I will. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And here's the second point. God promises that I will produce in you what I desire. This is really important. Your obedience has absolutely nothing to do with God choosing you, God creating you, God loving you, God saving you, God working in you. He does that regardless of whether or not you obey him. But that doesn't mean that your obedience is unimportant. You are saved completely by the grace of God alone demonstrated for you on the cross. And you are saved completely through the faith that he gives to you alone. But that faith is never alone. Right, right, you don't obey, and then God gives you the status as his child. But because God has given you the status of his child, because you are loved so much and you love him, you will obey. That's why when God talks about the things that he desires in the Bible, right, the patience, the love, the kindness, the faithfulness, the gentleness that he, he desires from you, he calls them fruit. He calls them a fruit of the Holy Spirit. An apple tree is going to produce apples no matter what. Like, it doesn't have to like, really ho- try hard to produce an apple. right? That's what apple trees do. The same with you. With the Holy Spirit in you, good works are natural. You want to love God. You want to serve your neighbor. Think about it like this. A lot of times we, we, we call Christianity a, a lifestyle. What's Christianity? Oh, it's a lifestyle that's not quite accurate. Christianity is a status. It's a status that God has given you completely for free. And that status produces a lifestyle. Christianity is a status given to you for free, and that will always produce a lifestyle. And you also notice what, what God promises. And maybe you noticed that... At the first part of the, of the text, he says, I will gather you from the nations, from the lands, and you will be in one place. And then at the end of the text, he says, and I will bring you together to your for- the land of your forefathers. I will dwell among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That promise is ultimately fulfilled in heaven, right? As God gathers all of his people from all the nations, from all times, and he dwells among them as their God, they are his people in perfect perfection, right? That, that's heaven. But that promise is also fulfilled right here, right now, at this little pocket of God's kingdom in the North Valleys of Reno. The church, the church family, is one of the greatest, most beautiful, most important, most crucial gifts that God gives to his people. Now, don't get me wrong, is it possible to, you know, never go to church ever and you can read your Bible and the Holy Spirit can work faith in your heart through that? Absolutely, and praise God for that. But when you want to find God, when you want to find God, where is God? God's not out in the mountains as you go off and contemplate life by yourself. God is here. God is among his people. And part of the, a, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart is the desire to be among God's people, to worship, to serve, to pray, to laugh, to cry, to work with God's people. And when that happens, God promises that that thing that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ is nothing less than a taste of the joy and the love And the unity that you will have in heaven. I hope that as you have heard the the been here the last three Sundays and have heard the sermon series, and if you if you've gotten anything out of it, or any sermon that you've ever heard here ever, I hope the one thing that you get out of it is this. It's all grace. It is all a gift. God's creating you, God's choosing you, God's saving you, and now even your conversion from unbeliever to believer, well, that was a product of the Spirit working in you. You didn't choose God, He chose you. Every single ounce of every single blessing and every single part of your status in God's kingdom, all of it is a gift to you. You did not earn it. And that's really, really important to remember on, you know, those days when you're feeling really high on yourself and you're thinking, man, you know, God's really lucky to have me in this kingdom, right? That's important to remember, right? Hey, you didn't earn it. But it's also really, really, and I'd say even more important to remember, on those days when you're thinking, man, I don't think God could ever forgive me. I don't think God could ever want me. I don't think God could ever love me. I'm really truly hopeless. That's even more important to remember on those days because God's love for you, God's saving of you, God's opinion of you does not depend on your obedience, your goodness, your uh, faithfulness to his all the things that, that you think are really important. God's God's opinion of you does not matter, does not depend on those things. They depend completely on his love for you. And that will not change. Who is God? That's the question we've been answering or, or, or asking. Who is God? Well, from, from Ezekiel, we see God is the one who makes you who you are. He is the one who gives you the new heart, the new spirit, so that you can produce what God desires. But most importantly, who is God? Who is he? He's your God. He's your God. And you are his people. Amen.